0: This is a little bit controversial, but I do not believe in a canned list of questions, not from the internet, not from the manager that you work for, not from the top salesperson in your own organization, even.
1: Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love Podcast. Hi there, listeners of the Selling with Love Podcast. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the origins and the misconceptions that happen around sales and buying. And at the end of the day, we're all trying to find solutions to problems and meeting each other's needs. So how does that look? How does that get built into a sales process in a way that it doesn't seem pushy? It doesn't seem like we're manipulating or taking advantage of people? but really coming from that place of service and really making sure that we're being more efficient in the way that we create our businesses, do our sales process, and act as independent sales representatives as well. And the guest that I have today to speak more about this topic is Deb Calvert, who's the president of People First Productivity Solutions, who works with companies to build organizational strength by putting people first. She has a background as a director at a Fortune 500 company, along with experience in sales, HR, operations, and that means she gets to cover so many topics when she ever comes into sales, as well as including everything else that is important in operating the business. She's written the book, Discover Questions, Get You Connected for Professionals, and she has a unique of senior-level sales HR operations experience, which makes it so that we can mix and match these and make these very powerful. Now, she was named by Timeline as one of 65 most influential women in business, and she consistently appears on the top sales, influencer, and top leader lists, which is where I actually discovered Deb, and I'm so excited to have her come onto the show with sharing with all of us. Deb, welcome, and thank you for being here.
0: Hey, Jason, thank you for bringing me in. I'm the one who's excited to be talking with you and your audience.
1: Well, I am excited to have you here. And I love that we started the conversation before even hitting record about some of your passion when it comes to linguistics and origins of language. And when it comes to buying and selling, I think a lot of us might have misconceptions or reluctance. Yet you see the origins of these words and you see a different story that most of us don't talk about.
0: I do. you know, And as a buyer side researcher for both Discover Questions Get You Connected and for Stop Selling and Start Leading, I'm very empathetic to buyers. And yet my entire career, actually since I was five years old, I've always been in sales. And so I get a little puzzled at this tension between the two parties. So I've discovered something sort of interesting that I think is a very, very important reminder to all of us. And it's because I'm just a word nerd. And I like word etymology, the origins of words. So check this out. The original word for buying or buyer was BICGAN, B-Y-C-G-A-N, Bikken. And it meant to acquire something to meet a need. That was the meaning of the word, acquiring something to meet a need. And then the original word for seller was sellin, S-E-L-L-A-N. And that original meaning going way back to when the first word was very first used, it meant to offer something to meet a need. And I love the symmetry between those two things because in its purest form, buying and selling intersects where there is a need. You have a need, I can meet your need. And that's how simple and elegant it should always be. That's where selling is noble and not at all, like you said, pushy or manipulative.
1: Yeah, I love that it has these wonderful origins, which begs a question that I need to follow that up with, which is what happened? Like we have so much, you know, baggage and misconception around sales. And I can't say every salesperson is pure and you know that as well. So what happened? Why are we finding ourselves with a world where sales is being used in such manipulative ways? We're not just trying to meet the needs of the person. We're actually trying to meet our own needs more than anything else. So what has happened over these years?
0: Well, I think that we all bear a little bit of responsibility here because we have let some of these negative stereotypes of our profession change even the way we think of it. And instead of rising above those negative perceptions and showing our buyers something else, we've allowed those perceptions to linger. We've sometimes, because of a a quota chase or something else that is an extrinsic negative motivator, takes us in the wrong direction, takes us away from meeting that need. Actually, I crusade against the word salesmanship. I think that the word sellership gives us a chance to reset everything and also just level the playing field. Because when you think salesman, sadly, right, people think about some of those stereotypes, those movies and those icky personas that nobody wants a part of.
1: Deb, you're hitting the nail on the head. I extensively speak about this as well because I think that's it. We walk into a cinema for an entertaining film, so we're not going to see a film that's about... You know, very professional and deeply listening sales representative who goes out and meets people's needs with no drama and great customer support. Doesn't make for an interesting plot line as much as the Wolf of Wall Street, where there's so much drama manipulation. And we think of these salespeople that can speak fast, read scripts, manipulate people. And of course, I can see why some people don't want to be associated with that. So If we're labeling this as what do we call sellership, as a new identity, right? Something that we can stand into and it would have its own set of values. I know the origin speaks of solving the needs, but what are some of the core values you would want to see in the sales professional world? And what happens when somebody actually embodies those values in their role?
0: Oh, that is such a great question. Let me say one more thing about sellership. I have been working on this for about two years and we've made our way now into four dictionaries. The more you use that word out there on the internet, especially, the more the other dictionaries, some of the bigger ones will be likely to pick it up. So help me out. Use the word sellership. So
1: (laughs) I would say I expect so many people to use the hashtag sellership. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can see exactly how it's written. And I will encourage you all to go and share on LinkedIn or on Instagram with hashtag sellership if you like the ideas that we'll be sharing on this episode and on this podcast.
0: Awesome. All right. We're all going to be a part of something big here by getting it into the big boy dictionaries. All right. So what does it look like? Well, sellership is a professional standard. It's about rising into that place where you're genuinely helping someone, right? If you're selling with love, that means you're selling with the other person in mind. You're selling to meet the need. You're selling a little less selfishly, right? You're going to benefit, because you're going to develop a great reputation, people are going to count on you, they're going to make referrals for you, they're going to help you out when it comes time to be differentiated from all the other stereotypical negative personas of sellers, they're going to remember you. And to make that happen, what are the qualities and traits is what you asked. What makes that happen is that you show your care in even the smallest of ways. So, You, first of all, establish credibility by following through on promises and commitments. You do what you say you will do. That's a huge thing for buyers. It's the number one thing that they commented on in our panel study that we did a few years ago with 630 B2B buyers. So think about your word as your bond. If you say, I'm gonna call you at 8 a.m., you don't call at 845 because there's already this negative perception of sellers and now you just added to it. But you hold yourself to a high standard of following through on promises and commitments. The second thing you do is you ask questions, not some canned questions and you have no idea what you're going to do with the information, but questions that are going to help the buyer understand and explain their needs The kinds of questions that are going to create some self-discovery about those pain points, not because you want to be able to twist the knife a little more, but because you care, right? Because you want to help and you can't help if you don't understand. So you're asking insightful questions to get to that place where you and your buyer understand commonly what it is that this needs all about. And then I'll just put one more out there. I'm sure there's a much longer list, but it's that you are caring enough to find solutions. Maybe you have to work a little harder. You have to get a little creative. You have to do something above and beyond. But when you do that, and when you involve the buyer in doing that, you're creating an experience for them that, again, underscores how much you care and how committed you are to meeting this need.
1: I am loving everything you're sharing. It's resonating with me so powerfully. There's two things I wanted to dig into. You said number one is about... Asking more powerful questions because some of those points are things that, okay, I can work harder. I can make sure I'm more accountable. I can show up. I wanted to understand, to be able to understand their needs better. When it comes to asking questions, is this something where I can go on the internet and find some lists of powerful questions to ask? Is this something I can be trained on? If there a set of questions that should be within my toolkit, how do we start developing maybe more confidence in knowing that the questions we ask, are going to be actually useful to giving us the answers we need to understand them better.
0: Yeah, I'm going to break a lot of hearts right now. And this is a little bit controversial, but I do not believe in a canned list of questions, not from the internet, not from the manager that you work for, not from the top salesperson in your own organization even. Because I have seen far too many times that even good questions, when they're canned, take you off course. When you've got a list of questions, suddenly you stop listening. You start recording the answers. You forget what you're going to do with the information. You miss vital cues and clues that you should drill down into something the buyer just said. It's more like taking a census or a survey if you have a list of questions. Now, I have no objection to getting yourself educated by looking at lists of questions and understanding what their purpose is as a conversation starter but I would much more advocate for you to become skilled in the art of asking questions and listening well. I think that'll take you a lot farther.
1: I love that. And in essence, if we go out there and we can doing some studies, and and I know you're gonna be probably a fan of this, but you can see that there's differences when you ask questions, whether it's a why question, how question, what questions, are there a little rule of thumbs that people can maybe think about? Or is this something we really need to go get some deep training about?
0: I can give you a short version, and yes, you can learn more, but we know. We know from brain scans, and you can just observe this in your everyday conversations. Let's call it three kinds of questions. When you want a short answer, like for a point of clarification or confirmation, you use a helper verb at the front of the question. Do, does, is, are, will, would, can, could, right? All of those helper verbs create the kind of question that somebody could answer with a yes or a no. They'll probably give you a little bit more than a simple yes, no, unless they're from New York. New Yorkers, they're just going to give you yes, no. (laughs) But you're going to get quick answers, and literally, the answer is going to come faster because you are signaling, by that phraseology of your question, you're signaling that what you want is a short, quick answer. Now, the ones you mentioned, who, what, where, when, why, how, and which, those are the only words in the English language where you can put those at the front of a question I'm talking about a sentence that ends in a question mark. And those will invite a little deeper thought and you will get a richer answer. So anytime you want to draw something out of your buyer, absolutely, try to use those instead. But the most powerful form of all is not a question at all. It's a command statement. It's not going to end in a question mark. It's going to make a command. Describe, tell me about, explain, help me understand. Put those at the beginning of a sentence and be careful Don't make the accident of putting one of those helper verbs in front. It's not, can you help me understand? It's help me understand, right? Don't fall into that trap of using the helper verb because it weakens your really great command statement.
1: Wow, that was some amazing insights that people will be able to go back listen to this again because you just had a blueprint of some of the things you can work on in the structure of where you do your sales presentation and you speak to your customers so you can understand them better and direct the conversations in ways that you're going to find things you never would have found if you were just using canned responses. But just understanding how the mechanics work will make you so much more rich in that conversation. Now, I did mention there were two things I picked up from your previous answer, and I want to go back to the other thing, which I think is really interesting. You talked about involving the buyer into the process, and I'd love to get maybe an unpacking of what would that look like? Because oftentimes we think like buyer is over there, seller, I'm over here, so I need to just do everything myself. But you're talking about involving the buyer? What does that mean and how does that look like?
0: Yeah, this is the customer experience. And everybody, think about yourself as a buyer. You're looking for something that's novel, it's interesting, you're participating in creating what you want, your imprint is on it, you're making micro-commitments to it because the more involved you are, the more it feels like yours, the harder it's going to be to say no to it later on. So you could think of all sorts of retail businesses and restaurants that use this model. Think about, for example, the burrito place where you walk down or the pizza place where you walk down the line and you say, a little bit of this, no, none of that, hey, can I have some of that. And you think you're making something that's special and unique and it's all your own because you're involved in the creation and it's no different with anything that you sell. You could sell a commodity type product where there is no variance in the product and still involve the buyer in delivery dates and shipping and preferences for how they want to communicate and how frequently they want to get called back from you. There's so many things that you can give them a bit of their own involvement that commits them to you and to the process.
1: As you're saying all this, I'm thinking about my experiences purchasing on Amazon. Then I thought about my experiences. You mentioned burritos. So I have Chipotle in my head and I'm like, I haven't had that in ages because it's not available here in Southeast Asia. But then, of course, I went into what I would call the OG of this, which would have been Subway, I think. I think Subway was the one that really got you involved in making your sandwich. And it was such an experience that was different than anything else we had seen before.
0: It's true. But, you know, the research tells us where Chipotle has been exponentially more successful than Subway is in this one thing. It's about the menu board. Subway gives you, what, 50 choices. (laughs) And you have a number. And Chipotle makes it feel a little bit more personalized. Now, a burritoista at Chipotle will tell you, basically, I make the same ten things all day long. But Chipotle has deliberately chosen not to put that up on a signboard because they want it to be more of your own.
1: I'm just recalling this because what you see when you walk into that restaurant is just pick your ingredient, pick your base, pick your this. But when you go to Subway, it's like veggie delight, tuna sandwich, like they label it for you. But here in Chipotle, you have a more intimate experience. That's really interesting. So if I was, let's say, a consultant Right, and well, let's use in your example, you're doing sales trainings and consulting. How does that look when you involve the buyer? So that for somebody who's listening to this who might be in an industry where they're coaching, consulting, or running a small business, what would that sales process look like as opposed to just keeping the buyer on the other side?
0: (laughs) Well, one thing I do for almost all my trainings is that I survey the people who are gonna be participating. Now that's a selling point to sell the sales training, but even more importantly, It's a buy-in. So people who come into the training, they've already had a voice in shaping the training. I'm meeting them where they are. I'm not making assumptions about their needs. My guesses, truthfully, are right more often than not. The insights I get from the people hiring me are more often than not spot on. But if I can use words that somebody said in a survey, if I can use an example that's very, very relevant to them, and just by giving them voice, it has increased their commitment level tremendously. So we get a head start.
1: Amazing. So I feel like we're getting a lot of nuggets here for us to think about things differently. And when we want to meet each other in the middle, right, we want to meet each other's needs. And a lot of times it's when we're talking about selling, we get to ask powerful questions. I'm wondering if a lot of everything you talk about is how can we be better buyers that look for our needs and want to be able to have conversations so that we don't get so disappointed in sales conversations, because a lot of disappointment happens. A lot of mismatch expectations happen. Is there a responsibility on the buyer side?
0: Yeah, I do think as buyers, we've become, oh, more like divas. So in 2017, the big, big, big auto show that they have in Vegas every year, the most popular topic that year was called Buyers Are Liars. And it was popular because, right, sellers are feeling a lot of challenge from buyers. Buyers are very empowered. They have lots of options. We don't want to disrespect any of that. But buyers, you are missing out when you don't give a seller a chance to ask you questions, when you just want to go straight to price because you think you've done all of your research. You're missing out truthfully, on things that you haven't even thought of that a good seller who's got a desire to meet your needs can help you to see differently. And that's time well spent, whether you buy from that individual or not.
1: Yeah, I like that. And, you know, when I often have these conversations, we look at the spectrum of salespeople from the good, the bad, the ugly, the great. I want to put a couple labels there. Because it's an unregulated industry, we do have a lot of people that get into sales that might not have the proper training experience, and at least for having a negative sales experience in the process, given that there's so many numbers that might have not received the type of training that they need to become effective salespeople. Is this something we should... Set higher standards like you're already talking about buyers being divas, but should we not tolerate negative sales experience? Should we demand more from the sellers? And is there anything that we could do to expect more from sellers so that they actually show indications to businesses that we do need to invest in training them?
0: I think that's a fantastic question. It's actually several questions. So, yes, I think there should be professional credentials for sellers for sellership to be a professional title. I think that that would be extremely helpful. The problem is that a lot of people in many, many, many different camps have come at that, and it hasn't been fully unified. But as sales degrees and programs become better established in universities, which they are, every year there are more of them, I think we'll eventually see that happening. Buyers, you should be demanding. You have a right to work with people that are responsive to you and who professionally interact with you. But I think instead of making blanket assumptions about every seller, that you give them a chance. Because if you mistrust and bucket everybody together with those negative stereotypes, then that's what sellers respond to. So you're sort of getting back what you put out there. And it only perpetuates the problem on both sides. So, you know, what I like to do, because I buy things too, I get calls from sellers. I like to tell them, you know here's where you're really rubbing me the wrong way. I've said that, right? And as a buyer, here's something that would make a big difference to me. And as a sales trainer, I'm giving you a little bit of free advice, take it or leave it. So why not, right? People can only do better if they know.
1: I don't know if this ends up being a good example or not, but I remember in the movie Boiler Room, which was again, an example, an illustration of the Wolf of Wall Street. There was a person trying to sell him (laughs) <laughs> I think it was a subscription to the New York Times or it was a newspaper subscription. And then the person said, stop, stop, stop. You really did a terrible pitch and then told them to correct the pitch. And then when he made a better pitch at the end, he's like, so do you want to buy? He's like, no, I'm subscribed to another <laughs> Newspaper. It was such a funny scene, but if anybody's interested, go on YouTube, look for Boiler Room newspaper. You will see something very funny about what Deb was just describing here. Deb, this has been a fantastic conversation, and I feel like there's a lot more that we could unpack when it comes to sales. And there's two more questions I wanted to ask. First one is, I understand that sales is important, I understand that I want to be one of the people that's part of this movement that's going to talk about sellership and I want to be better in the way that I show up as a salesperson, business owner, consultant, coach, creative. What would be some of the baseline training that you would suggest people to do? And of course, I know you have amazing trainings yourself that I'm going to have everybody go have a look at. In the show notes, you'll see I have a link to more from Deb when you go to peoplefirstpotential.com. A lot of her trainings are there when it comes to sales, leadership, and more. But I wanted to ask you, like, is there a certain topic that you would say like the foundations we should focus on whenever we want to get better at sales?
0: You know, I'm going to do some shameless self-promotion here because the book Stop Selling and Start Leading comes from research with buyers. And what we found out in that research is that buyers want sellers to interact with them as if they were leaders. In other words, they want leadership from sellers. They want you to inspire a vision. They want you to challenge them in an appropriate way. They want you to be encouraging to them. And so there are 30 very specific behaviors from this research that buyers said, if a seller did more of that, I'd be more likely to meet with them, more likely to buy from them, more likely to refer them to other people. So you want something simple and something that that can help you feel better about selling? Well, it's to show up as a leader, and that book will tell you how to do that according to buyers. In terms of what you need as training, I'm going to say that that's a little bit more specific about what you sell, how you sell, And I do think that People First Leadership Academy, you'll find some good resources there. So, and if you don't find them in either of those places, I am also very well networked and I'll give you lots of other resources.
1: Deb, this has been fantastic. The final question I want to make sure I get to ask you is we speak the same methodology. Like honestly, everything you've been speaking about, I'm like, oh, you're like spitting words into my ears, which is exactly what I'm trying to promote for people to do. Having more leadership, having more understanding of the buyers, asking powerful questions. It's been a fantastic conversation that resonates so much with the message and the ethos of what we do here at Selling With Love. So in closing, I do have to ask you the question, Deb, which is what does selling with love mean to you?
0: It means exactly what it sounds like. See, I have always in my entire career, I've always been right at the top. I'm talking about when I was a five-year-old selling Campfire Girls candy. I was always at the top. I won all the awards. I did that throughout my sales career. I sell very nicely in the business that I have now. But I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of having the top number being at the top of the leaderboard. That to me is nice, but it's not meaningful. What's meaningful to me and what, to me, selling with love means is that I get to make a difference. It means so much more to me that somebody from 15 years ago comes back and says, hey, Deb, remember that time you told me about XYZ? Well, I went and I did that, and here's what happened. And they've got some great story about the impact that it had. I mean, that'll keep me going for a lot longer than being at the top of some leaderboard.
1: That is fantastic. Deb, thank you so much for coming on the show. For everybody tuning in, we had a great conversation talking about various things that you can go into, learning more about, whether it's asking more powerful questions, whether it's understanding the needs-solving ideology around buying and selling, where did we go wrong, but how can we really go right? And I think in a world that we get to set better standards for ourselves as salespeople, being honest, delivering on what we promise, being able to be there, listening actually, and then you'll actually find yourself being much more effective in the way that you sell. I love this whole idea that selling effectively is tied so closely to being more powerful as a leader. And I think when you go into the academy, you're gonna see some amazing courses. I absolutely love the ethos of what Deb speaks about, and I would encourage everybody else who is looking to develop themselves as sales individuals within your business or as a sales as a career as well, definitely go and look at the website, peoplefirstpotential.com. You're going to be able to see so many of the trainings there, and we will put a link to the book so you can go and get a copy of that. And again, Teb, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are an ally to the show, Selling With Love, and it's great to have you in the industry advocating for the principles that we really want to see more of in the workplace.
0: Well, that is an honor coming from you, Jason. I appreciate it so much. And everybody remember, hashtag sellership everywhere you can
1: hashtag sellership, look at this into the bonus. And if you do post this on Instagram, make sure you put some tags. We're going to be resharing that so we can do a contribution and making this go into the better dictionaries. But more important than that, we can start shifting that mindset around sales into a way that's much more powerful, much more serving and much more effective too. Deb, once again, thank you for your time and everybody else listening. Keep selling with love.